Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. So welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant podcast. I am your host, Jeanette Linfoot, and I am joined today by an incredible guy. His name is Paul D. Lowe, and he is the founder of World Game Changers. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thank you very much, Jeanette. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. really is. Thank you. Oh, great to see you. It absolutely is. So, Paul, I'd like us to start where I start most of these podcasts, if I may, which is with your journey. So do you want to give us a quick canter through? A quick canter through, summed up really in very succinct words from pain to philanthropy. Because I think as humans, when we're involved in life-challenging situations, and we've had that certainty in life taken away from us, we need to replace it with well, with certainty. We become very uncertain. So, you know, if that's been taken away, uh, the uncertainty needs to be replaced by certainty. And so one of the, the things we do, I think, Jeanette, as humans, we create models, mental constructs, acronyms, stepping stones. And I certainly did that for decades as I battled with addiction and violence and you know, limiting beliefs and self-destruct mechanisms. So I created the, the four-stage process from pain to philanthropy. And the, uh, the pain basically went back to 1968 when, uh, as a kid, my mother remarried. Um, and the guy she married to then subjected me and her to essentially six years of, um, these are strong words, evil torture. Uh, that left me as a kid, you know, by that, the end of that six-year stint, I was 14. And that left me in a, in a space of, ooh, I was a mess. And by that stage, I was already addicted to alcohol, 14. I'd already attempted suicide, and I was already waging war on society because I had a very stark choice Although obviously at the time I didn't know this, I had neither the intellectual or emotional stability or capability, intelligence, awareness, call it what you will to understand what was going on. It was raw survival at its most, at its darkest. But what that did um, from that failed suicide attempt uh, of the 23rd of March, 1974, uh, and I embrace that now as part of a story. It has no old over me. It has no nothing over me. It was something that happened, and I took the learning from it, and I'm totally impassive about it. But what that did, you know, it gave me that realization that um, I had a purpose in life. So I'd kind of gone from pain to purpose. And my purpose was, and I use this, what I look back on now, is maybe quite patronizing language. I'm gonna. I'm here to fight for the underdog. Well, actually, Paul, who are you to judge that the world is an underdog? But that was my focus, and and it kept me going. And then as life progressed, I I understood that having a purpose is one thing, uh, but it's not enough. So 
it was where prosperity came in then. And prosperity really was not necessarily in a financial sense, but it was around embracing love and happiness because uh, because of the relationships that uh, I'd had with women folk or girls in my earlier um, stages, I come to understand the power of love. And I'd got that from my mother as well and my grandmother. So I'd gone from pain to purpose to prosperity. And then as more latter years went on, there was the philanthropy of giving back, being selfless, dedicating, sharing your lessons, just like you're doing with this, you know, uh, with your podcast here, Jeanette, and, you know, the work that we do as, as authors, coaches, you know, whatever whatever our calling is. Mm. So for me, in a quick whistle-stop sort of five minutes, that is the journey from pain to philanthropy. Mm. And it's a hell of a journey you've been on, Paul, you know, and obviously has led you to where you are today. Um, and as you say, when, as you were talking, one of the things that really resonated with me was when you got to the purpose point, and purpose, sometimes I think people are moving away from something, you know, and mo- moving away from the pain and the, the the terrible situation you faced when you were, you know, a, a child. Or people are being pulled towards something with, you know, a strong purpose that's compelling. So and sometimes it's a bit of both, isn't it, for people? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, do you want to do you want to talk about how you found that purpose Paul and and you know was it a light bulb moment for you or did it sort of evolve over time as you were going through those experiences yourself how did you get to that clarity because so many people are looking to get clarity themselves on their purpose and it can be an area that people struggle with sometimes so talk us through how you got that clarity of purpose okay and that's a great question and I think to answer you know to begin with the end in mind you know it's actually an amalgamation of all those things that you mentioned there there is never from my experience, invariably one thing. Yes, there was a light bulb moment. And I've already alluded to the date of the 23rd of March, 1974. I'll put a time on that, five past seven in the evening. I ran away from home, armed with suitable uh, tools, let's say, to do the dastardly deed. I mean, I don't want to be too graphic about this because unless you want me to, and then I'll go as deep as you want. Um, that the essence is I intended to end my life that night. And I ran away to a, I come from a mining village in inner city Nottingham. There were some caves there where we used to play as kids and we used to call them Dickie Dinos. I don't know what we did. So I ran away to Dickie Dinos that night because they were very isolated. And I sat in this cave. And as I prepared to do the act with my, and I was, my back was against the, the cave wall. So there was nobody behind me. And it was only a shallow cave, so there was no, nothing there, very dark. Um, I felt a push from behind, and a significant push. And I fell flat on my face. And I did something, Jeanette, that I hadn't done for years. I actually broke down and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed because I'd been conditioned from the age of eight, big boys don't cry. Mm. Shut up, get on with it. Don't cry, so I'll give you something to cry for. You're not a girl, are you? And all this mm. garbage. And when I composed myself after, or composed myself, when I kind of came out of that after, I don't know, maybe five minutes, I don't know what it was, and I looked around, there was no razor blade. Because I had took a candle with me. There was no razor blade, and something 
had pushed me from behind. Now, you can call that divine intervention. You can call it woo-woo. You can call it what you want. But that's what I understood as a kid of 13 and a half at the time was I'm going to fight for the underdog and I'm going to go, I'm going to run home and I'm going to protect my mother against the, I, I called him the beast against mm. the beast. And I got no chance because he was, you know, he was a fully grown strong man and I was only a kid. Um, but that spirit inside me was like, okay, that was in that eureka moment, that light bulb moment, Jeanette, that was my first understanding, what I now look back on as purpose. Mm. Wow. And, you yeah. know, and then what unfolded over the years was I found myself being drawn to to doing charitable events and, you know, and I'd even borrow money. And we was very poor. I was, I went, you know, I left the, um, that home and went to live with my grandma for my safety. My mother decided to stay with him. And um, I asked her in later life, I said, mum, why did you, why did you stay with the beast? And I mean, she's passed now, but her response was, which I would think it was indicative of women from that generation. Some have made me bad. I'll lie on it. it. Mm. Um, wait, I mean, I've got two daughters and I've said, if ever your partner's cheat or raise a hand, walk. Mm. walk. No second chances. I know that sounds judgmental, but that's obviously influenced by my own, what I witnessed for decades. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right, you know, Paul, because it was a different time, under, you know, of, of course, a different generation, but still those principles of those very limiting beliefs and 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 your your mum as awful as that situation was for her maybe her not seeing an alternative not seeing that there was another choice for her you know that she could have taken whereas you know to be empowered and to have a belief that there is an alternative there's always a way out mm -hmm. um, you know obviously wasn't something that your poor mum could could see at that time um and it's great now that you you spread that empowerment to your daughters and, and to, you know, help people see that there is always another choice um, as, as a choice that you made. And I mean, it's such a compelling story and, and obviously incredibly traumatic for the experiences that you've had. As you sit here as an adult, um, you know, you, you're obviously very attuned and very self-aware of, of everything that you've experienced in your life positives and the more challenging situations mm. was it how how much of that do you carry with you today you know because some people you know you, you talk about like a chip on the shoulder right don't we which is a bit of a flippant comment when people have been through incredibly traumatic situations how much of that do you carry with you now or have you made peace uh with the past oh totally totally and that's why i said at the top of the conversation Jeanette, that, you know, it's a story. It's mm -hmm. a story. And I've taken the learning from it. And I use this, this uh, analogy when I'm, when I'm talking with clients, that you imagine when we eat and when we drink, we take the goodness from it and we get rid of the rest as waste. Mm. That's what we do. And it helps us to function and to grow. Mm. So what I do with words and experiences in life, I take the goodness from it and I pass the rest as waste. I let it go. Because I can remember having a conversation with one of my mentors, uh, Jim Britt, who was Jim Rohn's business partner for 10 years. And we was talking about love because love has come, become such a powerful, powerful thing in my life and always was. Um, it was there from day one. 
and Ali's within all of us. And I can remember doing a podcast with with Jim and we was talking about love and, and I thought I was kind of, you know, oh, the big, the three important, the most important words, Jim, you can say to anybody is, I love you. And Jim being the wily old fox that he was, and he said, no, Paul, no. The three most important words that you can ever say to anybody are, let it go. Mm. It took me some time, Jeanette, to get my head around that. Well, what do you mean? You know, when you, you say to somebody, I, I love you, with, and, you know, not just as flippant words, but that declaration, surely there's nothing more. And to then to have this kind of what I perceived at the time, this almost bland, let it go. What does that mean? What do you mean, let it go? <laughs> but boy, was he right. Was he right? Yeah, yeah, fascinating and great, great words of wisdom there from from Jim. I think the other the other aspects, and let's talk about love because you've you've done a really nice segue there into into the topic, Paul. You know, because obviously to love other people is is an incredible thing to do, but to love yourself is arguably the greatest love of all. Yeah. Uh, to, to quote Whitney Houston. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but uh, you know, I think that is very true as well, and and self love is something which I think a lot of people struggle with because they they maybe see that as being selfish or not caring about other people. But I always think of it a little bit like, you know, when you get on an aircraft and they say, when it, you know, in the event of an, of an emergency and the oxygen mask come down, put your own mask on first, not on your child first or whoever you're traveling with. And I think that's a great analogy for life, actually, because if you don't love yourself, you don't like yourself, you don't take care of yourself, then it's very hard for you to love other people um, in such a deep and meaningful way. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. I mean, one of the uh, the sayings that I, well, one of the sayings I challenge, you know, is you cannot give what you do not have. Mm. And I challenge that. I think it's a great talking point. And it has context with what you said about, because for many, many years, I actually did give what I didn't have. But as you've said, the, the key word is incredibly hard. It's mm. incredibly hard. You know, by me giving to others, I find immense healing. I also found a lot of, you know, in terms of the six human needs, I found a lot of significance. Look at me. I'm doing great things for charity. I'm raising hundreds of thousands. I'm mixing with celebrities. Look at me, everybody. But really inside, I, I was still dying. I was still vulnerable. I was insecure. Um and that's relatively recently, within the last sort of seven, eight years, Jeanette, that I've kind of come out of that. But I think when you've really, and I, and I won't use the, the, the sort of say you've got to reach rock bottom first, because I really don't believe that either. In my case, I did. Yeah. But I don't believe it. And I think, you know, to quote Robbins, Tony Robbins around, you know, you can change your um you can change your life in a heartbeat. And when I first heard that, because Jim Britt was also actually, ironically, Tony Robbins' coach for five years. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. So there was a kind of crossover at some of the stuff we used to talk about. And uh, when I went on my learning journey, um, I deliberately, consciously chose what I thought or perceived at the time to be two very, very diverse mentors. One was Tony Robbins because he was brash. He was in your face. He was sensational. Mm. And the other was Deepak Chopra. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. 
So talk uh, about the two talk about the two choices then, Paul. And were you being mentored directly by them, or was it through some kind of mastermind kind of program? Because mentors is such a key thing. I'm a massive believer in mentors. So we're going to get into this. But talk about your choice of those two and why they were so important to you and what did they bring to you that you wouldn't have been able to unlock without them, maybe. Yeah, okay. So the Deepak one was a mixture of uh, programs and visiting California two or three times, see him in mm. person. Um, and the Jim Britt one was a 12-month, very personal one-to-one. Mm. And, and and then writing in one of his change books as well. So, you know, two kind of very different ones. Uh, but the reason I chose, consciously chose those, Jeanette, because rightly or wrongly, I perceived that they were and I can remember the word at the time, polarized. So Deepak was very spiritual. Yeah. As an American Indian, Robbins was very strategic, very just do it. And that was a language that I resonated with. You know, um, my world was very action orientated. I would jump in and ask questions later. Mm. So I could resonate with that. But I also understood, had an awareness that I needed, you know, because of this dare I say softening, which was a word that was in my consciousness at the time. I need to soften my world and I need to embrace love. And this spirituality, why did that thing happen to me in in that cave, in that mini cave? And there was a subsequent uh, situation where I should have lost my life in a gang fight, but I did something really bizarre happen then. And when I did a sponsored walk from Nottingham to Liverpool for the Hillsborough disaster, you know, things happened that, just totally defy logic and left me with big, big, big questions. You know, to quote Gabby Bernstein, the universe has got your back, Paul. Mm. Yeah, well, it's, uh, hey, listen, it, it's it's been, those events have helped lead you to where you are today as well, haven't they? Clearly, there have been some really pivotal moments. Um, and, and for some people, it isn't always a pivotal moment. As you say, it can be an evolution of thinking or you know, a more subtle influencing from people you spend time with or mentors. So how, how important were those mentors in your life? Obviously, you had two very high-profile Mm. mentors um but yeah how did where did they take you from and to paul i think it was a parallel i mean there again it's it's that's such a great question and there's not a you know a kind of quantitative answer that you can give to that because it's that you know the only parallel i can draw with that is when um when i ended up getting i went through uni in the end um and ended up with the first year of my doctorate. So I've got a teaching degree, a master's degree, and, and the first year of my doctorate. And I bumped into a guy that I hadn't seen since I was 15. We went to school. Well, he went to school. I was on the register. Um, <laughs> and we bumped into each other, you know, 25 years later at the age of 40. And he said, I can't believe you've got these qualifications. And I can remember Andy, you know what he said? Hey, Andy said to me, he said, a thick guy like you. And I said, Andy, we was in the top stream at grammar school. We was in the same class. So I was never thick, but I was busy surviving. But yeah, it, yeah. You know, um, that, that was my world, not, not sitting down learning mm. about the three R's. And he said, but you've got all these letters after your name because I was involved with, you know, institutions and, and you name it and all that kind of ego stuff, if I'm honest about it. 
because I still needed that certainty and that significance. Look mm. at me. Look, I've got all these letters after my name. Um, so, and he said, well, what, what do the pieces of paper mean to you? You know, this, that, the other, the memberships to these institutions and blah, blah, blah. And I said, absolutely nothing. Nothing. But you know the process I went through? Everything. Mm. Because going to uni... Um, as a mature student and mixing with, you know, bright buttons, 23, 24-year-olds, sharp as razors, minds sharp as razors. And, you know, they've got no limiting belief. They've got no baggage. Well, they had, but not compared mm. to what. And it's like, I don't deserve to be here because apparently boys from where I come from and in the city count, we go to prison or mortuaries. We don't go to university. Now, that was a belief I was born. Don't get any ideas above your station, boy. Know your place. You're working class. You were born yeah. with spit in your eye. You'll die with gravel in your gutter. Yeah. And all that kind of stuff. So it's that, I think, defiance, really, of knowing, Jeanette, that, no, I'm not accepting that. And it went, I suppose, from an awareness point of view, it went back to that fateful night, that fateful night in March 74 to say, I'm here for a reason. Mm. I'm here for a reason. And I don't know what that is. I mean, I'm still working through that, by the way. You know, have I got all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted? No, I haven't. <laughs> no way near. <laughs> I don't think anyone has, Paul, you know. <laughs> we're, all, we're all work in progress till the day we die. That's my theory. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. So can we just touch on the philanthropy side of things? Because, uh, you know, I love your framework of pain, purpose, prosperity, philanthropy. I think that's a great kind of roadmap, if you like, that you've been on your personal journey. But the philanthropy side of it and, and world game changers, I'd lo really love for you to share a bit more detail about that, because it's very impactful what you're doing. And I think it could help a lot of people listening. Hmm. Well, that was real. I mean, one of the you, you spoke earlier on, Jeanette, about you know high-profile mentors and and in influencers. Another one was was the late great Dr. Stephen Covey. Oh, and yeah, wonderful. Particularly his ninth habit. And for me, this is very simple: leave the world a better place than it mm. was when you found it. Mm. That's it. And by the way, in between, enjoy the journey. Be happy, whatever that happiness is because that's already within us anyway, so don't go chasing it externally, but enjoy the, every, the simple things in life. You know, I had a conversation where I went back home, back home to Nottingham, I live in Spain now, um, about three years ago, and there's an infamous gang lord that basically I grew up with, um, and he bumped into me, and, uh, you know, we was kind of having uh, a trip down memory lane, if you will, about when we was kids and the fights, and Obviously, as time went by, he got into more, uh, yeah, deeper school dungeon. Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, and, and I and I didn't, and I wasn't cut from that cloth. Mine was just, I was involved in fights because that was what I was learnt to survive as a kid. Yeah. Um, so that's as far as it went. But he said something to me the one day, and he said, uh, and he said, "You're not frightened of me, are you?" He said, "You know what I do with people, don't you?" I said, "I'm, yeah, I'm well aware of your reputation, but." It cuts no ice. And he said, he said, this song, he said, you was always weird as a kid when we was growing up. There was always something different about you. I said, I'll take that as a massive compliment. And he said to me, <laughs> he said, I want to ask you a really personal question. And I said, ask away and you'll get a straight answer because you, you're right. I'm not frightened of you. You might, have, I know you're carrying for a start, but yeah. 
you'll do what you do because I'm not frightened of dying either. Mm. And he said, are you gay? And I said, well, whether I am or whether I'm not is none of your business. Mm -hmm. But why do you ask me that ridiculous question? Yeah. Well, you talk about love and forgiveness. He said, it's like, you know, when we was kids, he said he used to drink hard and fight hard. And I said, you know, the difference is I've grown up. I've seen, we all have, I've seen there's an alternative. We have a choice. I said, I know for a fact that if a cat knocks a milk bottle, you'll still be jumping out your skin because your world is fear-driven. Get in mm -hmm. first, kill or be killed. Win at all costs. I spent a lot of time, decades in that darkness, jumping out my skin. Mm. It's not a, not a nice life at all. So I chose, consciously chose a different path. And yeah, I might talk about love because that's what my world is about. Because when you look at the contrast between darkness and light, love and fear, from where I'm sitting, it's a one horse race. But you can only you can only get on the back of one horse. You can't ride two. So choose wisely. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, very good words. And interestingly, what you were saying there, though, Paul, when when you had that conversation, you know, one of the things that stuck out for me was just around being different. And how, you know, society, the education system, maybe our chosen career paths, you know, so often we're, we're told to conform, fit in, you know, um, and actually anyone that is slightly different, either physically or emotionally or, you know, whatever different looks like. Um, mm. People people are wary, aren't they? Because they don't understand it. They, they, they're almost fearful. He was probably fearful of you in a way because... You know, we were different and, and therefore wasn't able to articulate it in a way that, that made sense. So therefore his question around, are you gay? Um, mm. As you say, is totally irrelevant. But but yeah, I think the society really sometimes makes us feel we have to fit in. And actually, a lot of people that really make a big impact in this world are very often the ones that stand out and they are different and they are quirky or they are super talented because then that allows you to, to have more of an impact than just the same old, same old conform. Um, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know whether you found that in your journey that by being different, it's allowed you to do different things by very nature. Yeah, absolutely it has. Now, I haven't, you know, there again, you know, from, a, from an early point, from an early age perspective, that wasn't a conscious thing. It was just, this don't feel right. You know, so many people over the years, even now, boy, you're weird. Why? Because I don't run with the sheep. And I don't, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I don't know why I don't. And, and I don't question that. I just, you know, I'm true to myself, you know, and I accept my vulnerabilities, my fallibilities. I accept the power that sometimes I feel stroke know I have. Mm. What, where's that come from? Well, that's, that's a separate conversation altogether. Yeah. It's yeah. this whole kind of rich dance. This is why when I do my podcast, I use emotional language. Like, let's, you know, you, when we do our podcast, you'll hear me use words like flirt and dance. Because I believe that that's what life is. You know, we flirt with ourselves. We dance with ourselves because we, one minute we're in this kind of all loving and then the next we're in this kind of more vulnerable, oh, okay, but I embrace that. I accept that. I recognize it. You know, I'll look in the mirror and say, do you know what, Paul? You are one handsome boy. And one day, <laughs> one day, you know, this self-love. And 
it's a choice rather than, oh, you look a bit rough this morning, boy, because you haven't had a shit. Don't matter. <laughs> Just flirt with it. Don't lie. <laughs> I'm laughing because you remind me of my dear old dad who passed away quite a few years ago now. But my dad, Arthur, he was he loved he, he was a show off. Right. He loved to entertain and he'd, he'd stand there in front of the mirror, putting his his um, old spice on before he went out playing. Say, oh, you're a good looking fella. You are. <laughs> and you absolutely just reminded me. It was like a moment in time. Paul. But you're right. Whatever it whatever it is, you know, tell yourself how great you are every day because you are. Um, you know, we all are. Uh, but no, that that did make me chuckle. But listen, Paul, talk me through the world game changers, because, uh, you know, we started on this journey, the journey that you've been on to philanthropy and, and world game changers, I know, is in- incredibly important to you what you're doing. So, yeah, just just explain that a little bit for us, if you don't mind. Well, based on Kobe's leave the world a better place, the operative word there is world. I mean, I've done a lot of charitable stuff locally and nationally over the, the years and the decades. Mm. But it's knowing, yeah, again, with that big capital K in a way that you can't rationalize, you can't, it makes no sense to me. I'll be honest with you, it makes no sense at all what I'm doing up there. But in there, it makes every sense. Mm. And essentially, what it is based on COVID is leave the world a better place. It's about bringing together people from around the globe that share that passion of, do you know what? Let's create a legacy for you know, our children, our children's children and their children. Let's leave the world a better place. So, you know, not just doing it in my own locality, wherever that may be at any one given moment in time, but saying, okay, you know, you're in the UK. If you like the vision of what we're trying to do, come and join us. You know, and Jeanette might have a sister in New Zealand, you know, and then in Africa or wherever, wherever. So this is what it's all about, Um, you know, we're only five minutes old, relatively speaking. We've already planted three forests um, in Africa, food forest. We've mm. sent a lot of football kit out from Nottingham Forest Football Club to some of the young kids there. You know, we've done one or two bits and pieces already. Um, small matter of producing books, podcasts, you know, getting the message out there and giving people that hope and inspiration. You know, and as we grow, I mean, certainly from my own point of view, as I, you know, when I leave this kind of physical shell called body, it's knowing that I contributed towards making the world a better place. To what degree? That's not my judgment. Mm-hmm. And if people want to get involved, Paul, what's what's the best way for them to do that? To sort of find out more details or, or kind of plug into to what you're doing? What What would you recommend? Well, there's, um, I mean, they can contact me directly through my um, through my website, which is uh, paul-lowwithane.com. So they can contact me directly there, or they can go to the World Game Changes website, which is uh, worldgamechanges.org, either way. Brilliant, and that's great. And you've just, you're on uh, perfectly timed, you've just had uh, the new book out, haven't you? Uh, so do you want to just talk about that? Because that's that's incredibly uh, a great read for people. So just t- take us through that. Yeah, that was um, released um, Valentine's Day. It was a book about love, not necessarily romantic love, but love in its, all, in its many and diverse forms. Um, and there's, there's varied stories in there from... 22 global co-authors. My anthologies are always around that magical number 22. Um, So this one's no different. And people sharing how they've gone through adversity, 
you know, whether it was sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever it was, and how they've come out the other side. And from a place of love and compassion, you know, they share their story. They share their vulnerability and say, look, you know, don't ever think it's just you what you're going through. And however dark it is, never, ever, ever give up hope. Never give mm. up hope. Because there is a world that does care. And I know in a, I know from first-hand experience, arguably better than most through decades of darkness, that it's very, very difficult to see and feel that. Mm, mm. But I suppose it all depends what you're looking for. That's the key. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there is no light without dark, you know, yin and yang. Yeah. Um, there is no no gain without pain, all of that. And uh, I think you're absolutely right. That's, this is a lovely way through the, book, through the book, through the co-authors, through that inspiration to hopefully show people there are alternative options available and to be inspired. You know, you don't always have to be coming from a position of, um, being in a deep, deep, dark place, it could just be you want to be a better version of yourself and, and put yourself out in the world, isn't it, really? It's the little changes, Jeanette. And when I say that to people, yeah, but Paul, you know, sometimes things have got to be mind shattered. No, they haven't. It's the little things. Well, little things don't really do because you try walking around with a pebble in your shoe. <laughs> it's painful. Just take that little pebble out. And your journey all of a sudden is a lot better. Well, that is the perfect way to end the podcast, Mr. Paul. But I am going to ask you some final questions, if I may. <laughs> so what would you say has been the best piece of advice you've ever been given? The best piece of advice, I'm um, going back to when I was about 17, 18 um, there was a priest, he took me to one side. Uh, I'd, just, I'd just been involved in a fight and he was kind of over the other side of the road and he, and he called me over and he said, I've been watching you for some time. He said, you really think you're the boy, don't you? And of course, at that age, because of the, I, I really did. It was, you know, yeah, again, raw survival mindset. And he said, let me tell you, he said, you're very physical. I can see you can look after yourself. You're very physical. But that's bottom of the pile. That's easy. Any fault. And, and it's interesting how his words, after all these years, have stuck with me almost verbatim. And he introduced me, Jeanette, to what I later framed as the SEMP model. So I kind of conceptualized this triangle cut into four. And at the bottom was the physical. And then the next level up was the mental. And then the next level up was the emotional. But right at the top of this triangle, this is what he said. He said, all this other stuff plays a part. But your spiritual power is the most powerful thing you can ever have in your life. And that took me back to, yet again, 1974. So when he said, never forget that, so never forget that your spiritual power. And I never saw him again after that. And I never really understood what he was saying. But it stuck with me, Jeanette. And as the decades have gone by... That, and I've had some great advice off some great people, but that, head and shoulders, is the most poignant. Fantastic. And what was the worst piece of advice you were ever given? <laughs> right, yeah, again, sort of, you know, going back to when I was about, and there's been a lot of that, uh, probably from myself, by the way, um, giving myself the worst advice. Um, the when when we first started, well, officially started drinking, there was Yates's Wine Lodge in the centre of Nottingham, and there used to be a legendary policeman there called Tug Wilson. 
and he was ex-cold stream guard, six foot eight, the old big handlebar moustache. And I'm going back to kind of um, mid-70s. We just started drinking. So I'm, I'm out drinking in the town with the boys. I was under age 15 when I'm here. And, um, of course, you know, all the boys like to fight, but particularly me. So we went into Yates's and they used to sell the Australian wine. Well, once you'd had a couple of those, you would fight the world. Um, <laughs> so we come, we'd had a couple of these and this and the other. There's about five or six of us. One of, the, one of the guys said, oh, you're a good fighting boy. You won't fight him, will you, Tug, Tug Wilson? Go on, go and fight him because you can beat him. We know you can beat him. I mean, there was winding me up. <laughs> yeah, I can counter. I can counter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's this legend, absolute legend of a man, six foot eight, solid, not a bully, but a gentleman. Anyway, I thought I'm taking it. So the, the advice I was given was you can beat him. So I goes over and I said, Tug, Mr. Wilson to you, boy. Yeah, whatever. Tug. <laughs> and I looked at his hands and they were like shovels. <laughs> and I said, uh, I want to fight you. Now, Tug's approach for running the busy city centre on a Saturday, Friday night was, right, he didn't like to nick people. He gave it, he'd take his tunic off and he'd bare knuckle fight the men or he'd give them the option, I can either nick you or I'll fight you. You choose. Either way, you're going to behave. So here's this kind of 15, 16-year-old bolshy teenager, thinks he's Jack the Lad, and he's three parts the worst because of his had this Australian wine, and I had the audacity or probably stupidity to go and challenge this legend of a gentleman. He said, I've told you twice, lad, there won't be a third time. And I just started to, ah, and this shovel of an hand come across, and I must have gone two foot in the air with his backhand there, and he's like, yeah, okay, I'll leave this one. <laughs> <laughs> Great story. So, yeah, Tug was not to be found, not to be fought. <laughs> Ignore the advice of your friends in that instance. Absolutely. Oh, brilliant. And my final question, Paul, what does brave, bold, brilliant mean to you? I tell you what it means to me. Do you know, and it's yeah, again, it's a brilliant question because I'd like to kind of, and this is you know the mental model kind of approach. I'd like to replace each of those three Bs with three Ls. So being brave is going on a journey of learning. Because I was ridiculed when I decided to go back to college. Mm. I was ridiculed, but I had the brave, the courage to go through it and stick at it. So that's the first one of my values, learning. Be bold enough to embrace love in all its many forms. You know, we speak to people at times that maybe had their heart broken through a, relationship, a romantic relationship or the loss of a loved one or whatever it may be, but be bold and be loving. And then the brilliant is knowing that you're here to create a legacy. So... The BBB gets replaced by the LLL, Learning, Loving, Legacy. Fantastic. I love that. That's great. Thank you so much, Paul. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. I can't thank you enough. And um, thanks for sharing your insights, journey, inspiration. So much in here. So thank you, Paul. Yeah, immense gratitude as well. You know, I mean, I know we've spoke off here uh, 
Um, and I've enjoyed those conversations, but I've immensely enjoyed this one and giving me the opportunity to, you know, just put one or two ideas and hopefully people might find a little bit of humour in there so it's not all been doom and gloom. A little sprinkling of something that might just make people think, hmm, do you know what, maybe there is, there is a bit of hope. Absolutely, that's where the magic happens. Yeah.